John 21, 1-19. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a painful question when it has to be asked in seriousness. It could be asked playfully, maybe a couple saying one to another, do you love me? Just to hear the answer. But when it has to be asked seriously, it means that there is a doubt in the mind of one of the parties about the reality of the love of the other. And it's painful for a husband or a wife to hear the spouse say, do you love me? Because that means that the spouse is not sure, doesn't know, has reason to doubt the sincerity 
of the love of the other spouse. But sometimes, however painful, there has been something that's happened in the relationship that requires such a question to be asked in order for the relationship to go forward, in order for for things to be restored and even improved on how they were previously. Do you love me? That's the big question that we're going to hear in this text today. Jesus asking Peter particularly, and we'll see the the circumstances of that, but also extending that question out to us as well. Do you love me? Now, the the incident or the, the theme that carries this forward, the narrative here, is eating, is feeding. And we find that there are two separate questions of feeding here, one that leads to the other. First, in the first 14 verses, Jesus feeds his disciples. So Jesus takes the initiative and he feeds his disciples. And then he speaks to Peter and says, Now Peter, now you go and you feed my disciples as well. Now in Mark fourteen twenty-eight and sixteen seven, we have something that doesn't show up in the other Gospels, and that is Jesus' instruction for them to meet him in Galilee after his resurrection. What we have in the Gospel of John up to this point is Jesus in and around Jerusalem. But now we find them in Galilee. And John doesn't give us the travelogue of when they went, how they went. They're in Galilee now. It says at the beginning of this, verse 1, it says, And Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember the gospel, this gospel and other gospels, many of the miracles and many of the activities of Jesus took place around the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And so there they are again. And they uh, seemed to be just waiting for whatever Jesus was going to do because he told them to meet him there. And there's a list of disciples, but there are only seven of them here. But this is fascinating, so tuck this away in your mind as we get to next week. Seven disciples are named. It says, first of all, Simon Peter, and then Thomas. We learned more about Thomas last week, also called the twin Now we have Nathanael, and we learn that he is of Cana in Galilee. We've met Nathanael before, but now we realize he's from Cana in Galilee. And now we have for the first time, the first time mentioned, but not by name, but by their father's name, the sons of Zebedee. And we know the sons of Zebedee are James and John. So they're not named. They're not named in this whole gospel, James or John, but now they appear but indirectly under their father's name, the sons of Zebedee. And then we have two other unnamed disciples. It just says two other disciples. So we have seven all together. Simon says to them, I'm going fishing. What was Simon Peter before he was a disciple of Christ? He was a fisherman, as was his brother Andrew, as were the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and perhaps others of the disciples as well. He says, I'm going fishing. They say, we'll go with you. And so it looks like the seven go along on this nocturnal fishing expedition. They fished all night. Now, no no fishing expedition has ever been criticized as much as this one has been. Um, There are those who say, these disciples were abandoning Jesus. 
They were going back to their old life because they were giving up on Jesus. They were fishing. They were fishermen. They were waiting. And they had to eat as well. So I don't think we should criticize them for going fishing. And uh, However, at the same time, we should recognize that these are not the men that we meet after Pentecost. They were still in a sort of standby mode. They were not the, the men who were empowered to take the gospel to their own people and then out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. They, they don't show up until after the, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. So while we shouldn't criticize them for going fishing, we recognize that they have not yet been transformed by the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them, which, by the way confirms the interpretation that we gave last week to Jesus breathing and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. He was doing that symbolically and in anticipation of when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. We don't have evidence in their lives that they are yet men who are filled with the Holy Spirit and fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given them. They're fishing. They caught nothing all night. Now, day was breaking Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't recognize him. So this is similar to the appearance to Mary. When Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, she didn't recognize him. And there's another incidence where there were two disciples walking along. They didn't recognize him either. Lots of speculation about why. Here, there is a a simple reason why. He was about a 100 yards from them on the shore, and it was dawn. So it may not have been a very clear visibility. But at any rate, Jesus shouted to them, and he called them children. He called them children. And he said, children, do you have any fish? That is a good question for fishermen and fisherwomen. That's what you ask fishers, isn't it? If they've gone out fishing, what do you say? You say, what did you catch? What did you catch? Sometimes uh, before they tore up the pier and they rebuilt the pier in Pompano, I would go out on the pier and just talk to people. Because it's a great opportunity to talk with people, because what are they doing? Well, from my perspective, they're not doing anything. (laughs) From their perspective, they're fishing, so they may take offense of that, but I can strike up conversations with them very easily by saying, what? What are you catching today? What have you caught? And then, yeah, any luck. And, And fishermen are always happy to tell you their stories about the one they caught, or that enormous one that just got away, right? And so, a, a logical question, do you have any fish? And they yell back, as you would, they wouldn't enter into conversation a hundred yards away, they yell back, no! And then he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, lots of ideas about this idea of left side and right side and so on, and, and then why did they do it? They've been there all night. They're experienced fishermen. Why did they obey when some stranger on the shore said, cast it on the right side and then you'll catch some fish? Well, this may seem unrealistic to us unless we are fishers. Because when you talk to fishermen and fisherwomen, they're always exchanging tips about where and how and when to catch fish. And so this is not so crazy or not so unusual for somebody to stand on the shore and say, hey, have you tried this? 
thinking perhaps, well, I tried it last week and I caught fish, whatever it might be. But they, they threw the nets on the right side and they caught so many fish that they couldn't bring the net onto the boat, but the net didn't break even with that amount of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, said, it is the Lord. Verse 7, it is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, and we've, we've picked up that Simon Peter is a bit impetuous, and it's not quite clear exactly what he did here, because it says that he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. The, it says stripped for work. The word is naked, but it's doubtful that he was actually naked, naked, but he, probably a good interpretation. He was stripped for work, but usually if you're going to cast yourself into the water, you don't put your clothes on, you take them off. So it could be, perhaps, that he didn't want to arrive to shore in his underwear, basically, to meet the Lord. And so he may have taken his outer garment and tied it on him, perhaps, and then jumped in. We're to understand that he was trying to get to shore as soon as he could, perhaps to to have a private audience with Jesus. Because the last time that he, we have seen Simon Peter, Jesus was saying, I am he, and Peter was saying, I am not a follower of Jesus. So he may have been seeking a private audience, but he was, he was wanting to get to Jesus. He was one of the two that ran to the tomb when they, they heard the news about the empty tomb. But it doesn't look like he beat them by much. A hundred yards is kind of a long way to swim for most people, even for fishermen, especially if you're doing a sprint. And they followed dragging the boat those hundred yards. They got on land, and Jesus was already waiting for them. He had a charcoal fire in place, and he had some fish there. But he said, let's, uh, let's add two from your catch. So bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Then Simon Peter, he, he goes, and he sounds like he's a very powerful man. Because he goes and he he pulls the net and they bring some fish and they put it on the the fire along with the other fish. And there were 153 large fish. Now, I don't know that there's any number in Scripture that has been so subjected to outrageous interpretations than this 153. It is, it, is, it is remarkable. And if we had more time, I would humor you with these, these interpretations. It's a triangular number, 17 uh, squared, and, and uh, it's um, or a, a triangle of 17 uh, sides, and, and it also is one, and there's one God, and, and they're, they're the Trinity, so that's the three, and then I'm not sure what the five is, maybe 50 from Pentecost. I mean, it's amazing the interpretations that people have come up with, symbolic interpretations. And the good thing about these interpretations is this. They teach us how not to interpret Scripture. Now that's important. That's important. Because these interpretations tend to treat Scripture as if it were a kind of a code book. And they're looking for secret codes in this book. And the Scripture does have a great deal of, of, of symbolic language in it. But it, but it signals when, when, the, sign, when the, the, the language is symbolic. We get clues that this is symbolic. Let me, tell you, let me tell you once and for all what the 153 means. It means that's how many fish there were. That's the point. And the point is that that's a great deal of fish. 
And they were so surprised, probably one of the fishermen said, Good night, how many are they? That's what you do if you fish. You want to know how many you've caught. And also they probably would divide them up to sell them in the marketplace or whatever. 153 fish, this was an amazing catch. Jesus was providing abundantly for the disciples. And then Jesus urged them to come and have breakfast. But they they don't seem to be jumping to breakfast. They're, they're very unsure of themselves here, how to operate. And then none of them dared to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They didn't dare to say, Is it really you? They were all convinced. And then Jesus had to almost to force them to eat. And then He took the initiative. Even as He had taken the initiative to wash their feet. Here, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, takes the food and serves His disciples. He serves them a meal like a, like a waiter or like a, a household servant. He took the bread, verse 13, He gave it to them and also the fish. Jesus is feeding His Disciples, And this reminds us of what he told us back in John chapter 6, verse 35. If anyone is hungry, let him come to me and eat. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he will be satisfied. And here we have a picture of how Jesus satisfies his disciples. And it says that this is the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You, you may know that in the four Gospels, it's very difficult to line up the resurrection accounts. Because each one tells uh, something of a different perspective, and it's, it's, it's difficult to figure out how these go together. So when John says, or when the author says here, uh, the Gospel of John says, this is the third time, it's the third time that he records it. It's the third time that he's appeared, leaving Mary Magdalene out because it wasn't plural there. He didn't appear to the disciples, it just to her. So this is the third time that John records that he's appeared to the, the disciples as a group. Now, that's the, the first part of this narrative. Jesus feeds his disciples personally and abundantly, taking care of their physical need in this instant. Then... He singles Peter out. And we don't know whether this was in front of the other disciples or whether it was in private. It just says, after breakfast, when they had finished breakfast, in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So it may have been in the front of the others, or it may be that that Peter told the other disciples later about the conversation. We don't know how it got to us. But he had a question for Simon Peter. And the question was this, and it's, it's formal. You know how this works, right? When your parents needed to call your attention, they would use your full name sometimes. Instead of just calling you Larry Lawrence Calvin, I want to speak to you. Then you knew something was very serious, right? My parents didn't actually do that, but I've heard parents that do that. But that, that, that's very formal. Um, and so here he says, Simon Peter... Simon, son of John, his, his full name here. And he asked him this question. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, he asked this question three times. Peter responds three times. And Jesus gives him a command three times. And as many have noticed... 
these three times line up with the three times that Jesus, or rather, that Peter denied Jesus. And so, what it looks like is happening here, Jesus insisting on three times pushing the same issue, is to rebuke Peter gently, but most of all, to restore Peter. This is the awkward conversation that had to take place, the painful conversation that had to take place, that was difficult for both parties, but it had to be, had to be spoken, it had to be brought out. In light of what has happened, Peter, in light of the fact that you denied me three times, I ask you three times, do you love me? Because your actions and your words have given me Serious reason to doubt that you love me. Now, there is some question about the comparison here. Because the first time he asks the question, it, it's this. Do you love me more than these? And the question is, more than what? And there are three major interpretations of that. Do you love me more than these fish and the fishing career that you had? Do you love me more than your old life? Or, do you love me more than you love these, these other disciples? But I think the best interpretation is, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Now you would say, why would Jesus ask that? That seems to be setting up a competition of who loves Jesus more. But Jesus didn't set up that competition. The disciples set up that competition. And Peter particularly boasted. If you go back to uh, chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, and then especially if you look at Mark 14, 29, you will find Peter saying, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then he set up the competition. In Mark, it's recorded, even if everyone else abandons you, I will not. What was he saying? Jesus, I love you more than any of these love you. And so Jesus recalls that with this question. Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these love me, even as you boasted before you denied me three times. And then Peter responded to this question. So it's three times, do you love me? Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. And then Peter gave the same answer with some variety. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, he said, You know that I love you? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, grieved that Jesus asked him the same question three times, grieved, he said, Lord, you know all things. And here he kind of casts himself upon Jesus because he says, no matter how much I affirm it, you know all things, and so I appeal not to my own words, I appear to what, to appeal to what you already know. A third time he says, you know everything, you know that I love you. And then each time Jesus gave him an instruction, a command, 
a commission. And there's some variety in this. If you look at verse 15, it says, first of all, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, tend my sheep. Now, what's the difference between lamb and sheep? Same animals, but lambs are young sheep. And so there's not a a big difference there. But there is something of a difference between feeding and tending, because feeding is a subcategory of tending. Feeding is to nourish. Tending is to do everything that's necessary to take care of. So there is a a bit of an extension there from not just feed, but take care of, shepherd my lambs. And then the third time, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So Jesus has just fed them. And then he says to Peter, feed, tend, take care of my sheep, my lambs. Now, with the possible exception of these words, feed or tend, one of which is a a larger category than the others, it looks like the variations in language here, because it's fascinating if you go and look at the the Greek text, there are variations here. Um, There are two different words for love. There are two different words for know. There are the two different words for lamb or sheep and the two different words for tend or feed. Now, this is very, very characteristic of the Gospel of John. When John repeats something, when the Gospel of John repeats something, it almost never says it in the same way twice. The the author of this Gospel loves variety, loves to use synonyms, loves to use synonyms. And it looks like, in this case, that's what's going on here. There is an interpretation that you probably have heard because it became popular in the English-speaking world starting in Britain in the 19th century. But it wasn't a popular interpretation among the Greek speakers who originally read this, the Greek fathers of the church. It became popular among some Brits in the 19th century and has come down to us. And that is particularly focusing in on this word love. Because there are two different words here. Jesus asked the question using one word. Peter answers it using another word. Jesus asks it using the same word. Jesus, uh, Peter answers it using that other word. And then Jesus switches to the word that Peter used. And Peter responds with that same word. And so some have interpreted that Jesus was using these two different words in a different way. Now... Um, this, this interpretation has fallen out of favor, and I don't think it's, 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 uh, it's commendable for several reasons. One is, because of the Gospel of John's love for using these words interchangeably. And if you go and look through the Gospel of John, how the author uses these two words for love, you find that the disciple whom Jesus loved is described using both of these words. The Father loves the Son, Both of those words are used to describe the the love of the Father for the Son. So it looks like in the Gospel of John, they're being used interchangeably. And also, if Jesus meant to make a distinction, it appears that both Peter and the author missed it. Because they present it as, he asked this, then he asked it a second time, and then he asked it a third time, and Peter is deeply grieved because he asked it a third time. 
not because he changed the question, but because he asked the same question three times. And there's another thing, and that is the proposed interpretations cancel themselves out. Because some say, well, uh, Jesus used a lower word, and then he ascended to Peter's word. And others say, Jesus used a more sublime word, and then he descended to Peter's word. So, that makes the whole the whole uh, procedure kind of suspicious if they come to two opposite conclusions about what Jesus was doing there. So, th- that's something of a side, but uh, you may have heard that interpretation. But the, the, what's abundantly clear is this. There are two necessary qualifications, and here's where, here's where it gets practical for us, and particularly for me. What is abundantly clear is that two necessary qualifications for ministry in the church are love for Jesus and love for Jesus' people. And we start with love for Jesus. That's the question. Do you love me? And when Peter is able to say, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, then Jesus gives him the commission, Love my sheep as well. Feed my sheep Tend my sheep, pastor my sheep, take care of my sheep. Because you love me, then I can entrust to you my sheep, my lambs, my people. This is what we need most in leaders in the church, that leaders in the church love Jesus. That's what we need. Because only if we love Jesus will we truly love Jesus' people. And notice that this is the, this is the counterpart to what we saw last week. Last week we saw Jesus saying, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. By the way, two different words for sent. Once again, you see how how the the author uses those. Uh, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. with With the message of going out and proclaiming forgiveness of sins to all who believe in me and the nations. The, the mission of the church to go out and to bring forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. Evangelization, missionary activity, but this is the counterpart to that. Once we have evangelized, once people have come to faith in Christ, they need to be taken care of. They are part of the people, part of the flock, part of, part of the disciples. And so leaders in the church are not only to go out and to bring others in, but to take care of those who are in. These two things go together, and they must go together. Now, Peter, to his credit, he grew. Oh, by the way, by the way, church, look for these things. Look for these things. We're we're just getting off the ground, or should I say we were just getting off the ground as a church, and now we feel like we're starting over, or we're going to be starting over again, Uh, but we are moving towards having members and in our church, as indicates indication in the Scripture, the, the church is the one who recognizes its leaders and, and recognizes those who have the calling to minister in the church. And so, as we get more organized, as we have members, and as it comes time to, for you to choose your elders, including your pastor, which is the right of the congregation to elect your pastor, one of the elders, look for men... Look for men who love Jesus. There are other qualifications that we have in Scripture. But look for men who have a visible love for Jesus in the way they live their lives and who have a love for the church of Jesus Christ. 
don't look for those who would who would be great CEOs, although there may be CEOs who love Jesus in our church. Don't look for those who might serve well on, as, on a, a board of directors. There may be some good board of director type people in our church that also love Jesus and love His people. But look for those. Look for those who love Jesus. And look for those who love His people. That's what the church of Jesus Christ needs. And the church of Jesus Christ would be much better off if all of the leaders simply loved Jesus and loved His people. Now, Peter, Peter got the message. Peter learned. Later, Peter wrote as an elder to fellow elders. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he wrote this, So I exhort the elders, the presbyters, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, for not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd... Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the kind of leader that I need to be. That's the kind of under-shepherd that I need to be. And that's the kind that we need in our church. And that's what we need in every church. So look for those. Look for those among us. Now, after saying this to Jesus, or rather, after Jesus saying this to Peter, he ended with, kind of an enigmatic statement to Peter. In verse 18, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, taken by itself, this verse could just describe the increasing inability of older people to do the things they want to do, even getting to the point where they need others to dress them and to take them places, and they may not even want to go to those places. So by itself, it could just be describing the, the old age of Peter and how he would need other people's help to do simple chores. But, verse 19 says this, something of a parenthetical statement. It says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And by this time, by the time the Gospel of John was written, Peter had died. And, and after the fact, perhaps, they were able to put two and two together and, and see that, that, P, that Jesus was talking not only about the fact that Peter would have some of the limitations of age, but that he would die a certain kind of death. And by that death, he would glorify God and this is strengthened if you go back to chapter John of chapter 12 of John and when Jesus said in verse 32 and I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself this said, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die and so this has already already been mentioned in Jesus case Jesus said when I'm lifted up from the earth I will draw all people to myself. And then 
the author says, Jesus said this to indicate what sort of death he was going to die. And then we discovered what? How would Jesus be lifted up from the earth? He would be lifted up on a cross. And on that cross, he would glorify God and he would die and he would bring people from all the nations to himself. And now we hear that Peter is going to stretch out his hands. And somehow stretching out his hands is going to indicate the kind of death he's going to die. Stretching out his hands and being dressed and being led to where he does not want to go. I think we should see it more like this. That Peter was going to stretch out his hands and be dressed and to be led to where he did not want to go. And where is that? To a Roman cross. Which, if early church history is accurate, that's exactly how Peter died. He died on a cross under Nero, according to ancient tradition, on a Roman cross, just like his master did. Now, if we go back to chapter 13 of John, now we can fill out something of this conversation that Jesus and Peter had when Jesus said Peter would deny him. John chapter 13, verse 36 Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then the last thing in our text of today that Jesus said to Peter was this. Follow me. Follow me. Peter had said, I want to go wherever you're going. And Jesus said, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And then he says, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and you'll be taken to where you do not want to go. And then he says to Peter, follow me. Peter had said, I will follow you all the way to death. And Jesus is now telling him, Peter, you will get your chance. You will get your wish. You will get what you want. But not yet. It won't be until you're older. And then you will get to follow me. All the way to the cross. Now, we don't know how much Peter understood of this. Maybe the author just understood it later, or maybe Peter understood it at the time. But if he understood any of this, then he would have lived the rest of his life. Think about this. He would have lived the rest of his life knowing that he was going to end his days crucified. That is, if he kept following Jesus. Because there would be a way out, wouldn't there? He could avoid the cross, couldn't he? All he had to do, as many Christians throughout the centuries have been, have been called upon to do, all he had to do was deny Jesus again. 
And then perhaps he could die a a peaceful death in his bed with his family around him. But if he took Jesus' call and responded to it and followed Jesus, then there was a cross, the shadow of a cross, hanging over the rest of his life. But follow he did, and he followed his Master all the way to the cross. Is there any doubt now about the sincerity of Peter's answer to Jesus? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And we see that Peter did. He loved Jesus enough to follow Him all His life, all the way to the cross. And you might say, wow. That that call was amazing for Peter. That he took it up and he followed Him. That was that was remarkable that Peter responded to that call and he followed Jesus no matter where it took him. But my friends, Peter is not unique. Yes, he played a special role in the foundation of the church. Yes, he was used by God in his day to take the gospel to many. And yes, he was crucified on a Roman cross. But he's not unique. This is Jesus' call to any who would come after Him. That's what He said. Not just to Peter. He says that to all of us. If any would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? How about you? Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, this is the response. Follow Him. No matter what it costs, and no matter where it takes you. But that may sound like a grim conclusion. But let's remember again, this parenthetical statement says, this He said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. And we have seen all through this Gospel of John the strange juxtaposition of Jesus being lifted up on the Roman cross and Jesus glorifying God. This is how we're to glorify God as well. And it's not a grim reality. It's an amazing privilege that we through our lives and we through our deaths can glorify God. God. Do you love Jesus? Then hear the call this morning when He says to all of us, follow Me. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You first for Jesus' love for us, Your love for us. It's seen in Jesus For you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for Jesus and the love we see in Him. You loved us when we were unlovely, when we were your enemies. You gave your Son for us. And now you come to us and say, Do you love me? Then follow me. Oh God, thank you for people like Peter, warts and all, 
mistakes and all, someone who denied you three times, but you restored him and he played a formidable role in the establishment of your church. Oh God, we have those same skeletons in our closets, those dark things in our pasts, and we ask that You would enable us to overcome them. Restore us again, O God. And we pray that we would indeed love Jesus. That we would love Jesus' people. And that we would follow Jesus wherever He calls us. And we pray this in His name. Amen.